Welcome to Substance Free 02043, brought to you by Hingham Cares. I'm your host, Kristen Arute, and I am President and Program Director of Hingham Cares. We are a federally funded nonprofit coalition whose mission is to reduce substance use among youth in our community. To that end, we bring programming into the schools and the community to advise students, parents, and residents of the risks associated with underage use of drugs and alcohol. Our guest today is Jenny Soper. Welcome, Jenny. Thanks so much. It's a real pleasure to have you with us here today. Thank you so much for joining us. Jenny lives in Winchester, Mass. with her family, and just a few years ago, they created an important documentary after a devastating family loss. Hingham Cares and Safe Harbor Cohasset were two of the first towns to see the film. I remember driving to your house with Chris Murphy from Safe Harbor Cohasset. And Hingham Cares brought the film into Hingham not long after it. We had community showings for a couple of years, which you and your family were a part of. And we also showed it to the sophomore class at Hingham High School for a few years. Then we had a couple of years of COVID, and we've returned to showing the film in the school every year since. Um, So initially, it was a showing to the sophomore class. Now, for the past two years, we've shown it to the junior class as part of our grade-specific programming on Hingham Cares Day, which has become an annual event. So basically, every class since we first showed the film, every class of students that's gone through Hingham High School has seen if they had known. That's fantastic. So that's a long bit of background. Normally, my guests' intros aren't so involved, but Hingham has a history with you and your family, and I just wanted to highlight how important your film has been to us. So before we get into the content of the film, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Where did you grow up? How long have you been in Winchester? Tell us a little bit about your family. Oh, my. Okay. Well, first of all, I just want to thank you, Kristen, for allowing this podcast to happen because you've been such a champion of our film and our cause. And, it, you know, it takes people like you to get our film to schools. And that's just fantastic. So a huge thank you to you personally. So I grew up in Minnesota, Minnetonka, Minnesota, moved to Boston um, after college in 1987. Met my husband not long after, um, started graduate school, and then decided to get married, and I've been in um, Boston ever since. Um, We live in Winchester. We moved here in 1993, and it's a a small town that's very tight-knit, and it's a great place to grow up, Um, and we have three kids. Clay was our oldest. Um, and I have another son, Ted and a daughter, Allie. And unfortunately we lost our oldest in, um, 2015. In the film, you describe Clay as a spirited young boy. You said his teachers referred to him as a spirited young boy. He certainly seemed to have a personality that was larger than life. Could you just describe from a mother's perspective? Tell us a little bit more about Clay. Yeah. I'd love to. Um, Yes, he was. uh, We quote that line because I I think that really sums up Clay. He was very spirited. He was a lot of fun. He was a really happy young man. He really, really loved people and connecting with people. Um, It was kind of a gift he had that I didn't even realize he had until we lost him. I didn't realize the significance of that. Um. He loved a good adventure. He just made the most of every day. He was really a, a full of life kind of person. 
but he wasn't a kid that was on the edge. He certainly, I mean, we say as his parents, he sucked the life out of us because every day was an adventure with Clay and he was constantly doing, you know, this, that, whatever. But it was never um, in a reckless, hazardous way. He mm-hmm. he wasn't a kid who was in trouble. He didn't have a substance abuse issue. He didn't, you know, have an addiction issue. Um, he was a really typical teenage young man who enjoyed life, enjoyed people, was very engaged with people, enjoyed a good party. I often say that, you know, he didn't do anything that night that neither his father or I wouldn't have done. It was just a really tragic accident. And he was very athletic as well, wasn't he? Oh, yes. Yeah, he was a three-sport athlete. He grew up ski racing in the mountains of New Hampshire. Um, He played, was a huge soccer player, lacrosse. Yeah, he was you know, a really happy, thriving young man. Yes, that comes across loud and clear in the film. And so the documentary was created to tell the story of Clay's passing and to warn kids and parents about a very particular danger. Could you describe what that danger is? Sure. So before I go into that, I just want to um, point out the reason we made the documentary was really um, because of his friends. So Clay had finished his first year of college and he was home for the summer and he and a bunch of his friends gathered for a party, like is not that uncommon. And that's where he, along with a handful of other kids, decided to mix Xanax with alcohol. Unbeknownst to myself and a lot of other people, we had no idea this was kind of a party trend that kids do. Um, and for clay, it caused his respiratory system and heart to come to a halt and he went to bed and he never woke up. So his friends after like day, a couple of days after he died, came to us and said, this just shouldn't have happened. Like we had no idea that this was even a potential risk. Um, it's treated so casually among young people right now, this mixing of prescription drugs with alcohol And they just had absolutely no idea. And they really were committed to honoring Clay, and pardon me if I break up, um, Mm -hmm. with uh, making some sense out of his death because, you know, they said it shouldn't have been Clay. There's a lot of other people that take risks to a further extreme than he did. And if this could happen to Clay, it could happen to anyone and we need to do something. So it was really the young people that surrounded him that came to us and said, we want to do something. So that's what prompted us to form the foundation and create a film that would be um, a different approach to delivering this message. Um, It was very important to his friends in his world that they speak in their vernacular and their language so that they could really connect um, and speak directly to their audience. So that was really the impetus for us creating this film. You know, we were at a pretty broken point, (laughs) but it was really the strength of them that carried us. And the film is very unique in that it is told from the perspective of Clay's friends. It's told from the experience that young people had in losing this very dear friend of theirs. Um, and, and I think that's 
that's important too. When we bring the film into the school, I think the kids, it really resonates with the kids because they they can hear from people who are essentially their peers. I mean, granted, these kids are a lot older than they are at this point, but um, at the time of the fil- that the film was made, they were essentially peers of the kids that are um, seeing the film. And I think that really helps to resonate with it. It's just so genuine and so sincere. And the lessons that have been learned that they convey in the film are so critical. But you and your family are also interviewed in the film. And I'm always amazed at how articulate and composed and honest Ted and Allie are. Um, They're just remarkable. And we had Allie come, as you know, to Hingham Cares, uh, or not Hingham Cares Day, but to um, the high school when we presented this film to the to the sophomore class. So she came and she was there fielding questions uh, for a couple of years when we showed the film. And she's so remarkably mature and composed. And the kids really, really enjoyed um, being able to ask her some very pointed questions. And they do ask very pointed questions at the end of this film. What are what are they doing now? Are they still involved in doing community showings of the film? Um, how has how have their the trajectory of their lives been altered by this? Well, their lives have been altered altered forever because of the loss of their brother, obviously. Um, but yes, they are both still very involved. Allie just last weekend graduated from college. So yes, congratulations um, to Allie. Thank you. Um, so she, while she was in college, her, you know, um, attendance at viewings was diminished <laughs> because she mm-hmm. was in Pennsylvania. Um, and but they both still are very active on the boards. They've just um, assumed the role of co-chair of our of our board. They are very open to being part of any discussion or. Um, any way in which they can st- help start a dialogue with young people about this. Um, Ted is lives in New York City now, but he uh, graduated from the University of Denver in 2020. Um, and the University of Denver has uh, the fraternity there, has what they call Abe Clay Day every May, which is um, an event that Clay's and Ted's fraternity, Sigma Chi's, sponsor at Arapahoe Basin which was um, Clay's favorite uh, ski area. And it's also where uh, some of his ashes are scattered. So it has a special significance to us. Um, But they have a big clay day there every year since his death, which is like remarkable to me. And the fraternity hosts this event and helps to raise money for the foundation. And they go and they honor clay at a basin for a day. And it's, it's really astonishing to me. I mean, Clay had been at the University of Denver for one year. He just finished his freshman year. So, but the connections that he made while he was there that one year um, speak to who he was. And I think really why we've had success partially in the distribution of this film and whatnot, because he had such a large network of of people. So you've been showing the film in high schools, or I should say high schools have been showing the film. You don't necessarily travel to every single showing, but high schools, colleges, um, where are some other places that the film is being shown? So our ultimate goal is to have this film shown in every high school and college across the country. That has been our goal from day one. And that maintains our goal, maintains to be our goal. To date, we have um, shown in, I believe it's 38 states, 
50 some um, colleges and universities and over 250 uh, high schools and communities. So while we're very proud of that, um, we still are determined to reach our goal of getting it in every high school and college. In terms of other channels of distribution, um, we really say communities are the best place to start. You know, community showings, especially over the summer and whatnot, are very impactful. The film is also available uh, for individual rent on Amazon and Google Play. And people just search for If They Had Known? Yeah, and it's right there. And, you know, I really suggest if that's something that, like, a parent wants to do, I would say, you know, have your son or daughter gather a few friends and let them watch it with their friends because that's really our goal is to get peer-to-peer discussions going you know I'm a parent I warned my children about everything that I thought potentially could happen to them but I was a kid once too and everything my parents said I made sure I didn't listen to you know so but the people they do listen to are their peers And from the beginning, the focus of the film and everything was very much kids speaking to kids and saying, you know, FYI, this is not a good idea. We didn't know this before, but now you know to mix prescription drugs with alcohol is not a risk you want to take. And if you can equip them them with that information, that way when they're out with their friends and it comes up, they have a, a tool to fall back upon and say, you know what, Let, let's let's not do this. What does the landscape look like right now in terms of kids combining alcohol with other substances? Has that improved? Has it gotten worse? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, when we launched this film, the concept of mixing prescription drugs with alcohol was not something that was discussed in, you know, uh, curriculum or Honestly, with uh, in the medical field, you know, if your child's prescribed antidepressant or anti-anxiety medication or ADHD medication, that conversation was not being had, that these should not be used recreationally. Um, and somewhere along the line, the party culture with these young kids, it shifted. And their fear, of, they have no fear of pills. They have no fear of prescriptions. And somewhere along the line, it became part of their culture to enhance their party experience by mixing these two substances. And because that's one question a lot of parents and myself had, why would you do this? Like, I don't even understand what, why you do this. And they do it because it enhances their party experience. Um, So that was what we were dealing with when Clay first passed. And we were, when he first died, we were, I I don't even really know why, but we just were very open and honest about how he died. We just, it was such a shock to us and our community and all that we just thought this is our opportunity to be honest and open. We could hide behind the circumstances, but, you know, then maybe this could happen to someone else. And it just wasn't what our our family was comfortable with. We wanted to be very open and honest about it. And so we were, and um, it opened up all all kinds of discussions uh, with kids um, that had been regularly doing this and just had no concept that they were putting themselves at risk. 
Well, I think it's interesting. Earlier, you talked about the fact that Clay didn't have a substance use issue. And I think a lot of people are under the impression that it's only people with substance abuse issues who pass away from substances. But that's not the case. In this case, it's a, a normal college student who's partying just like his friends are partying. Um, and it just took a, a, a turn for the worst. And I think that that shock value resonates with people. And I think uh, it resonates with parents in particular because we all think that, like you did, we all think that we're doing everything that we can to protect our kids. We all want our kids to be safe. And something like this can still happen. And that's just what's so devastating. Yeah, I mean, you know, partying in high school and college is nothing new. That's been happening since the beginning of time. Um, but how they're partying is what has changed. And that's what we really wanted to speak to. We wanted to really speak and say, this is an accident that shouldn't have happened. This is an accident that was completely avoidable. This is an accident that I really, in my heart of hearts, as well as all of his friends feel, would not have happened if he had known the consequences of his actions. So that was, you know, when he first died, that was really our mixing the combination of prescription drugs with alcohol was really our core message because we wanted to be specific about that. But then you fast forward to where we are today. And I really didn't know how long our film would have relevance with young people, but it's as relevant today as it, as it was, you know, seven, almost eight years ago. Um, And then you've, you also add in um, just the mis- overall misuse and abuse of prescription drugs today. I think what one thing that fed into that was COVID. You know, COVID wreaked havoc on a lot of people's emotional well-being and young people as well. And um, a lot of kids suddenly were experiencing anxiety and depression and were either being medicated for it or were choosing to self-medicate, i.e. purchase um, anti-anxiety meds, Xanax, et cetera, off the internet or the street. And right now that is just so scary because the amount of deaths that are happening daily due to fentanyl laced street drugs or internet purchase drugs is just off the charts. And so our message now has almost grown from not only the hazards of mixing, but it's the overall misuse and abuse of prescription drugs. Do you think that's because it's so commonplace that people have become almost desensitized? It seems like everybody takes something for something. And so maybe prescription drugs, in addition to being commonplace, are also perceived as being safer because they are prescribed by a doctor. So uh, do you think that there's that, that level of risk is just not associated with prescription drugs in people's minds? Absolutely. I mean, when when I was growing up, um, I didn't know anyone on medication for depression, anxiety, or ADHD wasn't even a thing back then. Uh, but when my children were growing up, you know, and I fell into it as well. Both of my boys have ADD and they were prescribed Adderall as well. And they took it for productive reasons, you know, I think our society has shifted to if there's a little problem that we can fix with a prescription, we do. So our young people are accustomed to taking prescriptions like they were Tylenol, like they don't have any 
risks associated with them. And I remember my daughter who was 14 when he, days after he died, and she said, you know, mom, I know we had a woman come to our school and talk to us about her son who had died from heroin. And she said, she was in eighth grade at the time. My daughter was in eighth grade at the time. And she said, um, you know, heroin, like, wasn't even, isn't even on our radar. Like, no one even really drinks yet. Or like, it was so out of there. But she said, I sat and I I thought, the amount of people I know on anti-anxiety or ADHD or antidepressants right now in eighth grade, what if they drink for the first time and they die? Now, this was a 14-year-old's kind of, take from this whole thing. And, you know, that really stuck with me because it was like, yeah, that this is just a real, this is a real problem. And it's a problem that no one is really having a dialogue about. And it's no one's fault. It's just where we are. And we just need to equip our kids with a little bit of knowledge so that when given the temptation to try it, they have a little knowledge because right now, I really believe in my heart of hearts, our young people have absolutely no barriers to prescription drugs. They, they mean nothing to them. They have no, I, you know, when I was growing up, I, I wouldn't have taken pills. I would have done other things, but I wouldn't have taken pills, you know? And I mean, right, right. I don't think they have that same fear. And I actually, I want to put the fear back into misusing prescription drugs because you never know. Has anyone in the medical community reacted to your film? Because you bring up an excellent point, and I just wonder if this is a film that doctors need to see, pharmacists need to see. I will say it was eye-opening to us when the the first year, probably the film was out, um, we had a large group of pediatricians and adolescent wellness people gather. It was probably like 60 people and we showed the film and the reoccurring theme after that was that these physicians had no concept at all that these drugs were being used recreationally. Like it was just not even on their radar. That's not their fault. It's just what it is. Like, you know, that's the other thing. It's a major disconnect. It's a major disconnect. And I guess like for us as a family too, we're not trying to place fault on anyone or blame on anyone we're saying if if anyone it was clay's fault for mixing these it was his he did it but he did it because he didn't know any better and we just want to say like just have a little bit of knowledge so that you make a better choice and for pediatricians and wellness people did not have any concept that this was a a recreational trend was eye-opening to us as well. Now that was several years ago and hopefully things have changed since then, but that was eye-opening. That's pretty incredible. I think that the conversations that start around this film are so important. I think anytime we show this to parents, the takeaway is exactly what you're describing. Oh my goodness, I didn't realize this was taking place. And I didn't realize that prescription drugs could be so dangerous and so harmful. So what is it about the combination from a, from a, a scientific uh, perspective? What is it about the combination of 
Xanax and alcohol in particular, which is what Clay took that night, that is so dangerous and so risky? Well, I mean, I'm not a doctor, nor am I a scientist, mm-hmm. but I can share with you what I know. And and our actually, the doctor in our film speaks to this. But you know, when you when you when you drink large volumes of alcohol, and you mix it with a prescription drug like that, it to the X factor like quadruples its effect on you. And this is what occurs. Like it just slowly causes your respiratory system and heart to stop. So the other important thing that we try to say is, you know, the night that Clay died, he was at this party. He had taken Xanax. They knew he had a bunch of other kids had, but the scariest thing of all is that he texted me that night and said, I'm staying at my friend's house. I'll be home tomorrow. And that I was fine with that. He put himself to bed. He hadn't passed out. He hadn't, you know, there was no sign that he was in danger. He put himself to, he walked upstairs and he was joking with the, the kid's house he was at. Like, I've got your bed for the night, you know, and he was, he was very much coherent at that point. And he went to bed. And then when, when they went to check on him, he had died. So, I mean, it's really, you know, people can say, how can you avoid this and all you, the only way you can really avoid this is to not do it and never leave someone alone. And if you know someone has mixed these substances, don't leave them alone. Don't let, you know, I mean, know that you're, that these people are in potential risk and Mm -hmm. it's, that's something that kids need to know too. So we actually, um, as part of our film, we have a documentary program kit that we call it. And so when a school or community or college uh, leases the film, there's a whole facilitator's guide and whatnot that kind of walks you through how to introduce the film, um, how to hold a discussion afterwards. And, you know, we have some key messaging that we have that hopefully, you know, the schools print out these handouts and the kids take them and they just read them once because they kind of point out like this, this could have been accidents don't discriminate is one of the points. Like you could have done this 10 other weekends in a row. And then this could be your night. You really have no idea where your body is at that moment when you, when you choose to miss these things. So, you know, we're really trying to just arm the kids with a little bit of information that will stick with them and that their peers will support, you know, this information coming from the parents is not going to be as effective as if the whole hockey team sees this film together or the whole band sees the film together or the whole honor society sits and sees it together. Or the, this is the other thing, like this is not an issue that happens with only one segment of kids. This is, this has become just commonplace. So it's not fair or right to say my kid is an honor student. My kid is a blah, blah, blah. Therefore, this wouldn't happen to them. That's not real. In addition to creating the film, you have done and continue to do things to honor Clay and Clay's memory. Could you describe what some of those things are? Sure. Um, So Clay grew up ski racing in uh, New Hampshire, uh, as all my kids did. And... um, was a just a very passionate, passionate skier. Um, and so we have a Clay Sopel Memorial Weekend Championship um, 
ski race every year held at Waterville Valley in his honor. And anyone who's involved in the ski racing world knows that that sport, like any other sport, it's a grind. And when you get to a certain level, you know, you either have a great day or you have a really bad day. There's no middle level with ski racing because it's just you and the clock, right? So, but one thing that Clay always did, even though he was a very competitive racer, he always managed to build in some fun. He never quite let that whole intensity get him down. And so our race up there is um, really built to honor the weekend racer and to remind these kids that they're doing it for the love of skiing. And our race has since since the first race, which we held the year after he died. And again, I can't believe we put that together. But our race is just super, super po um, popular with uh, the whole ski world from Division One athletes down to weekend racers. And they gather for this weekend event. And there's every year over 200 racers show up. And they're there for the love of skiing and the love of competition. And they pull together as a community, as, as a ski world. And it's just so clay. And then at the award ceremony, we take um, an opportunity to get up and we speak to these kids about how clay died and what our film does and what our foundation does. Because I really personally feel like people who achieve the most in life are those who are not afraid of risk. You have to be able to take a little risk to really move forward in a great level. And if you're a ski racer, you're, you obviously are embracing risk. You're trying to go as fast as you can. If you are, you know, a tennis player, you have to risk something. I mean, it doesn't matter to be able to be good in something. And so I think to have a conversation about risk, that it's not a bad thing, but a calculated, educated risk is the kind of risk you want to take, not an uneducated. Appropriate risk. Yes. And so, um, again, we, we continually try to speak to the kids in their language. And at that event, um, our son Ted and Allie get up and they speak a lot to the kids. Um, because as you mentioned, kids receive better from other kids. And then we also have a program at Youth Enrichment Services um, in Boston called Clay Connections. It was Youth Enrichment Services as an organization that Clay volunteered with all through his high school years. And he was, he had a special fondness for connecting people from different backgrounds. You know, he grew up in Winchester. It's, you know, a nice town with um, not a huge amount of diversity. And he was all about diversity and inclusion. So we put together a program that for uh, middle school age kids to connect city kids with suburban kids and for them to realize that they share more similarities and differences. And that's a program that we are in the process of kind of rebuilding and, and re-energizing because with COVID, it took a hit. We couldn't obviously do it with COVID, but it's got special significance to our family because that was really a unique feature that he Clay had at a very young age that inclusion is just an incredible thing and a power and a powerful thing. 
And that came across in the film, just how genuine Clay was. He was welcoming. He was genuine. He was non-judgmental. I think that's why so many people gravitated toward him because he was just yeah, just so honest and real. He was a great and kid. And welcoming. So, yeah. I do want to, you know, you mentioned about the um, the audience response a while back. I just wanted to say, because this was so powerful to us, but we debuted the film in Winchester and um, we had a all the high school and all school viewing. And at that viewing, we, but it was optional. It was not required. And we had about 400 students show up. And at that showing, we gave each kid a, an index card and a pen. And at the end we said, just write down whatever takeaway you have from this film. And I really um, didn't expect to get many of those back. Um, But we got over 300 cards back. And we sat that night as a family, went through the, read those cards. And like the third card that we read said, as a regular user of mixing Xanax with alcohol, I will never do it again after seeing this film. Wow. And for us, that was like hitting a home run. First of all, the honesty that that kid took to write that and the, the fact that that was his takeaway, his or her, I don't know who was girl or boy, but that it was their takeaway was that message was huge to us. And it it told us that we really, we do have something here. Well, and also to know that you made such a potentially life altering impact on this particular person that they could have found themselves in circumstances very similar to Clay's. And as a result of Clay's experience, and you are spreading that message about Clay's experience, this, you could have potentially saved this person's life. That's, um, that's a pretty powerful concept. Yeah. And I would imagine that you get, it must be a mixed bag of emotions for you because you get such gratification knowing that you're having an impact on the lives of these young people, but it, it came at a tremendous cost for you and your family. Yes. But you know, we, I used to say that, you know, Clay was a a tremendous connector with people like we've talked about. And this film and our foundation is a way for him to continue to connect with and to connect people Mm. together. And that feels good to us. You've already talked about the importance of education I'm curious so when we're talking about kids and you know you said kids do party and you know you partied and um, you know we all as teens had had some level of experience with that party culture not necessarily to the extent of using um, prescription drugs and other substances but it's uh, it's pervasive Um, I think in particular, understanding the risks is critical, but when we're talking about the underdeveloped brain, we're already talking about kids who are ready and willing to take risks and they feel invincible as a result. So what advice would you have for parents dealing with teens that are in this state of mind on how to make healthy choices around drugs and alcohol? What would you say specifically to parents of teens? 
I think as a parent, you know, you should never stop trying to teach your kids about, you should continuously have those conversations, even if they hate you for it. And even if it's awkward, um, I think that, again, if you can create dialogue with your kid and their peers, somehow say, you guys need to know this information, talk about it amongst yourselves, protect each other when you're out at night, you know, don't leave anyone alone. If someone's in trouble, get help. Don't hesitate to get help. You know, that was another thing that came up, um, during our showings when Jeff and I used to go do showings um, and we were at uh, one town and the whole amnesty law came up and you know, what happens if, if a high school kid calls the police, what happens to them, you know, and this is a real thing. It's, <laughs> it's a real thing. Kids are afraid. They're afraid to seek help because of ramifications it may have on them. I get that, you know, I would have said, my kid will never do that. I would have said, I have taught my kid better. I have said, my kid's smarter than that. Like I, I would have said all that. But in the end, my son passed. So I think as a parent, you have to just be real. Just understand that your kids are kids. And this is part of the, the age that they're in, in this experimental age. We really can't deny it. You can't stop it. And you can't deny it, but you can equip them with information and also a level of openness and honesty. And if they get in trouble, they get in trouble, but they're alive. You bring up an excellent point, And that means that the, sort of the precursor to those conversations is for parents to be educated. I think if you had known that kids were combining alcohol and Xanax, you would have had those conversations with your kids. So it's important, I think, for parents to understand what the latest drug trends are, um, what kids are doing. You know, at Hingham Cares, we do our best to educate the public about, you know, the latest thing that could potentially show up at a party that your that your child is at. But it's not; it's a generational thing. So it's not the same type of party that parents went to when they were that age. Right. There's a lot more risk, a lot more danger. And you've already mentioned fentanyl, which is deadly in tiny doses. It's deadly. Yeah, the education piece is so important. I, I, I think so. I think that's all we can do. And then you hope, you hope for the, you hope, you know. Um, but you just, there's certain things you cannot do. You cannot buy drugs off the street. You cannot buy drugs off the internet. You cannot. And if you are a kid that has a prescription, for anti-anxiety, ADHD, or depression, do not share your drugs. Don't do that. Do you want that on your hands if someone misuses them and they pass? You know, I mean, that's just that's not- That's a great point. Just don't, just, just don't do it. And don't do it because now you know better. Before you didn't know. After you watch our film and after you have these discussions, you do know. So you're not guilty for what you didn't know in the past, but you are guilty for what you know in the future and you choose not to acknowledge. You know, there's plenty of ways to have fun. You don't have to include prescription drugs. Just out of curiosity, I, I know this is slightly different from the topic that we're discussing, but have you seen, and I'm putting you on the spot with this, have you seen any, with the onset of all these new marijuana products, have you seen any complications with 
marijuana products being combined with alcohol or other substances. Is that is that a topic that you address with some of these in-person presentations that you do? Well, again, we're not doctors. Right. We're not scientists. We're not professionals in this arena. So we are just parents who lost a child. So it's very important that we stick to what we do know, mm-hmm. which is a lot, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it's important that we stick to what we do know and that we speak about our experience and our circumstances. Let me go backwards. I guess that's another good um, discussion point with your kids, like like prescription drugs, if you buy them off the street or off the internet or misuse them, marijuana, you have the same, you potentially could have the same circumstances with that as well. Right. So it's kind of this overarching misuse and abuse that we kind of try to focus on. It's kind of similar to vapes, and I'm just thinking off the top of my head, but similar to vapes, these hard alcohol seltzers that are marketed with different flavors and things, those are very appealing to kids too. I remember wine coolers coming out and those became the drink of choice but the the fruity flavors, the things that are appealing to young people. So you feel like you're drinking a lemonade or you feel like you're drinking a fruit punch as opposed to actually drinking something that contains a substance in it. So we were at a college showing and that was just a phenomenal showing. They had this whole student panel and the, the students at the college really managed it beautifully. And, and Jeff and I just went to kind of be in the audience and listen the exchange between the, the student population that attended the showing and this panel was just incredible. The amount of honesty and the questions and the exchange that was going on was incredible. It's exactly what we wanted. But at one point, one student stood up and said, you know, how are we supposed to know if someone's like in trouble? How do you know if someone has drank too much or whatever? And the director of wellness stood up and said, you know, here's a simple thing. The second someone is stumbling or slurring their speech or incoherent like that, that means that it has started to attack your system in a, in a critical place. And that was like so powerful. I thought to hear, because those are like really tangible things that as a kid, you can remember. And I remember sitting there as an adult and as a parent thinking, God, I've been with adults who were stumbling or slurring. And I never really realized the level they must have been at to reach that. So it's little stuff like that. Just, you know, be aware. We're not saying don't have fun, don't enjoy life. We're saying be aware and take care of each other. And as a group, talk about this and support one another and Stand up if if someone suggests they do this. Say, you know what? I saw this film. I don't think we should do it. So, Jenny, where can people learn more about your film? Where can they? You mentioned that they can find it by searching for if they had known on Amazon and can stream it themselves. What other information would you like to share with our listeners? Best way to connect with us is through our website, which is uh, claysopermemorialfund.org. And If you go to our website, you can learn all about how to license the film or how to um, rent it on an individual basis. Our hope is that it'll be a combination of things. If a community, if someone hears this and they say, I 
I have kids in high school. I, I want to bring this to my community. Go to our website. There's a form you fill out. We'll reach back to you. And then we can help you figure out how to bring this to your community. If you also want to say, I want to have my son or daughter have 10 people over on Friday night and I'm going to put them in the basement and they're going to watch this film together. I'm going to have my kids' soccer team, my kids' baseball team, my softball team, whatever, watch this, my theater group, whatever. Get kids together, sitting shoulder to shoulder and watch this together so that they're able to kind of process it and not have to explain it to you. I think, you know, one barrier with parents that we have is why? Why would you do this? That's not our question. Know the risks and go out equipped with that with that tool to understand the risks that are in front of you and to help save each other. And I'm assuming that you appreciate receiving feedback from people who have viewed the film. So you, I'm assuming also that you have a contact form on your website where people can reach out with feedback. We do. Yep. Yep. We have an uh, email info at claysopenmemorialfund.org is the email. Um, and yes, the individual rentals are on uh, Google Play and Amazon. So yeah, if you have a, a son or a daughter in high school or in college, or if you just want to help bring this to your community, reach out to us. We'll make it happen. I just, again, Kristen, want to thank you because this is exactly what's going to help get our message out to people. and. To all the listeners, this is what it takes. It just takes conversation and dialogue. And it's not about pointing fingers or pointing blame or deciding if there's good kids or bad kids. It's just the reality of the world we're living in. And we can all be safer and we can avoid others from suffering this incredible, horrible, tragic loss. And to any students out there listening to this, you know, I think we as parents don't realize the lasting effects that something like a loss like this has on a community as a whole and all the kids that live with this now for the rest of their life, the loss of their friend or their peer or classmate. And it's, it's a heavy, it's a heavy thing to carry with you and it's avoidable. I want to thank you so much for joining us. You're you're always on my heart. Thank you. I appreciate it more than you know. Bye, Jenny. Thank you. Thank you so much. You have been listening to Substance Free 02043. I'm your host, Kristen Arute from Hingham Cares. And I want to thank our guest today, Jenny Soper, for joining us for an important conversation about the risks associated with mixing prescription drugs and alcohol. Jenny and her family created a film, If They Had Known, which can be streamed on Amazon and other platforms, that tells the story of the loss of their son. You can reach Jenny and learn more about the film and their organization by going to claysopermemorialfund.org. And Soper is spelled S-O-P-E-R. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you will tune in again. For more info or to get involved, go to hinghamcares.org.